We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. episode 330 of the winning six podcast proudly a part of the eurostep podcast network at blue wire podcasts i'm adam mcgee and joining me as always it's my good friend jordan tresky jordan hello hello so jordan we've had a lot of big news recently more than i can remember for quite some time if ever i don't i don't know for you and I not generally kind of announcements people. No. It's fair to say. <laughs> Quite the opposite, you know. We stay away from the announcements. Yeah, we keep the, the announcements to ourselves, but not right now. There's so podium games, I have podium shame. That's what it is. I miss, I miss real podium games. I know. It's not the same. No. You're not going to have the moment of, like, Giannis perusing a box score and making, like, a face that, like, did Bryn Forbes do an interview? Yeah. He did, okay. But it's the combinations you need. You need, like, oh, the books blow out the heat. Who's on the podium? Oh, look, it's Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton. That's, you know, that's really part of the magic of the playoffs. Yeah. But to get back to the matter at hand, Jordan, we've had some big news recently, and we've got some more. 
And you may already be aware of this if this podcast is in your ears right now, because if it's not in your ears, I don't know, I don't know how you're hearing me speak. That's it's a little concerning. But regular listeners, longtime listeners of Win and Six, may notice that when you look down at your device, there is a new logo. There is a new Win and Six logo. We have followed in the path of so many iconic franchises but in our case i think we've upgraded our look we have rebranded to go along with our move we have a new win in six logo we love it right jordan it's something that we're, we're really very excited about it's clean it's fire as the kids say lit it All is it fleek. is fleek. <laughs> it is fleek jordan is correct the new win in six logo is fleek um, no, we, we had a few ideas and we talked about this and it was like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna have a new logo and the good folks at Blue Wire, our friends at Blue Wire, they, you know, came to our assistance. They're like, okay, we, we can, we can, we can help you with this. And I had an idea that I wanted something spun off of my all time favorite books jersey. I mean, if Jordan might've had a slightly different pick. But I I pulled rank. Not that our rank is any different, <laughs> but I feel very strongly when it comes to books jerseys. So we have a 1971 road jersey, kind of inspired logo. There's some mixes of different influences from books history over the years. If you want a full breakdown of how we arrived at Hunter Green and Great Lakes, but no, so wait, that's the wrong that's the wrong thing. If you want a proper look, a closer look at how we arrived at our uh, particularly fetching new logo, you can go over to at winning numerical value six podcast on Twitter. And we have tweeted out a graphic breaking it all down, breaking down. You know, you've got original bangos antlers just peeking in bottom left. You've got a jersey trim top right. You've got the W. In win, guess what, Jordan? It's not a W. It's nope. the M for Milwaukee flipped upside down. The shorts, the waistband from the greatest shorts in NBA history makes its uh, appearance at the bottom as a strap. It's it's a thing of beauty. We're very, very happy. We're very, very excited. It does mean our uh, very basic, long beloved, loyal logo, the logo was loyal to us, Jordan, it has was. now been retired but we're not going to make this change. We're not going to allow it to go out with a whimper. So we've got a giveaway. There may be some of you listening who already have some old school, original win in six merchandise out there in the world. When I say some of you, there is like a handful. You're very rare and lucky people. The logo's retired. The merch is gone, but we're going to have one last piece of, of merchandise giveaway. The original Win and Six logo. If you would like, oh, I love it, a fetching green t-shirt with the logo on it. Modeled by Jordan Tresky here. Uh, sure all of you can see that, right? I'm twirling. Uh, modeled by Jordan Tresky. We have, we have one to give away. How might you win this t-shirt? How can you claim your own piece of podcasting history, you might ask? What we want, Adam. What we want them to do, Jordan, 
is go to the Eurostep Podcast Network. Go to it on Apple Podcasts. Go to it wherever you get your podcasts. If there's an option for you to rate the podcast, you know, I think they better rate it five stars, Jordan. They better rate it five stars. If there's an option to review the podcast, I think it would be rude not to leave a very kind review, and particularly now that their favorite winning six boys have come across to join the party. So to be in with a chance of getting the last original Win and Six t-shirt in existence, um, it, it will be brand new, just for the record. <laughs> Not already worn. Jordan isn't modeling it. So this is brand new. It's the last one off the printing press. It will be yours forever. A piece of history. We want you to send us a screenshot at WinInNumericalValue6podcast on Twitter. Send us a screenshot of your rating, your review. We'll give it about a week or so. You know, I, I should be more specific. It's a it's a giveaway. It's a competition after all. It's today is End of the month. Yeah. You know what? June first, closing date for submissions. If you want to get this t shirt, if you if you want to have a chance of getting this t shirt, of being the lucky, the chosen one, that's how you do it. Get in touch with us, send us a screenshot, your rating, your review over on the Eurostep Podcast Network, the home of Winning Six Podcast, and of course, the Eurostep Podcast. That was quite a game, that game too. Milwaukee what Bucks, game? Miami what? Heat. What? What? You've got the details now. Bucks, Heat, oh, Game 2. Was, Did you miss I thought it? it was Tuesday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll just, I'm going to pause the recording. You go back and you watch Game 2, because it's happened. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, no, in all seriousness, <laughs> we were on with Ty and Rowan on our crossover episode after game one, and I think we all kind of agreed that the books would be better in game two. The books were definitely better in game two. What's your big takeaways? Um, they won by 34 points. That's a good start. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was what from the beginning. It was like a wire. Yeah, it was definitely wire. To wire. It was like fifteen two and nineteen four or something like that. Opening turnover, and then Giannis hit a three, and then it was just like bend down the hatches. They're going everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, probably maybe one of the most complete performances we've seen this season. That's just Brand Forbes you're talking about, is it? course 22 points 20 minutes when i looked at that again i was like 20 minutes it felt like he i mean it makes sense because i mean they were just you know so i i was talking to a friend of mine i was on a call with a friend of mine at the time the game was on so the game was on beside me the volume was up he could hear it he's a books fan and i was like Bryn forbes and he's like well it's like how many points is he up to and i tell him and then the next thing would be like like it's 19 points he's like wow i'm like in five minutes <laughs> It's just completely and utterly absurd. Crazy. Well, we'll dive into that some more. I'm trying to think, though. That might be the best role player playoff performance in our time doing this. Like, it's the thing that we've always been waiting for someone to do, and they basically haven't done it. That's what you saw from Bryn Forbes in Game 2 against the Heat was exactly why the books sent four second round picks to get Nikola Miritich was in the hope of just one or two games yep. like that. And we know yeah, that I mean, didn't exactly work out. 
I don't think I'm trying to think of another like because there's obviously been like the Thon games or who else? Uh, George Hill, but not in that way. Not in that way. I mean, the Thon is a good just for sheer impact on the game, overwhelming the game, setting the tone in the building. That might be the only rival. Because, I mean, a lot of players played very well for the books. But I do think Bryn Forbes won game too. Like, that's he created the energy that everyone fed off of. He oh got Drew Holiday going from a playmaking perspective and Drew finished with, what, 15 assists? Yep. Like, he was the key to that. And also, you know, the plan that he'd have and the plan that worked so well for them a year ago um, is kind of predicated on the books shooters not knocking down shots so when someone comes in just that hot it's almost impossible for miami to withstand it as as we got to watch and enjoy i'm not entirely surprised by how the series is unfolding having said that let's let's do a little bit just on the kind of the overall lay of the land before we dive into some more stuff from game two and then we've got all your mailbag questions they'll come up at the back end were you surprised by how little it felt like the Heat were trying to do? I know they got hit by an absolute tidal wave three minutes into the game, and it's very hard to react to that. But it didn't feel to me like the reactions were, you know, I don't even want to say very good. All that evident, you know, in any way. I'm just basically, Jordan. If the shoe was on the other foot here, is what I'm saying. I think there'd be mm-hmm. a lot of very loud talk about the books putting in a performance like that and a certain coach being on the sidelines for a performance like that. I don't think you're wrong there. I, I think a lot of it is... I know we talked about it on the Game 1 crossover episode, but like guys like Crowder, Olenek, they're not there. They're willing shooters that have regularly exploited the Bucks, regardless if they were playing for the Heat or not. Um, I just thought, too, I mean, you know, you look through how the Bucks have defended Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo in particular. Bam more than anything else. And you just see him, they're trying to do their, you know, the same kind of sets where they're cutting off ball, like all the off-ball action that the Bucks are effectively shutting down. And you see him just very... I know he finished with like 16 points 11 on 11 shots or something like that, which is fine, but, you know, it came in a blowout. Yeah, but, he's also a minus 18. Like, it's, yeah. not, it's not like the Heat found much yeah, positive Dwayne, at any time. Dwayne Debman was easily the more productive center, and that was like, I mean, again, blowout, 34 points. But still, like, it was like that much of a difference. When, he, when Bam is not, like, looking towards the hoop, and he has plenty of space to jack up a mid-rager, which he beat the Bucks badly last year doing so. It just kind of, there's just something lost with it, that Heat team from the first two games. Granted, you know, it could easily be a different series when it goes down to Miami and they get some kind of injection of confidence or whatever. But they just don't have the same weapons in terms of what they lost, but even the supporting guys, Dragic, Hero. I mean, Hero is probably the biggest. I, I it's 
genuinely genuinely bizarre what his role is for them now after being so you know high on the kool-aid of here it's a season in the making is the thing though right yeah like it's not and it's i don't really blame anyone like that's even when i consider what the heat could do or didn't do in game two like he's not factoring into it in the same way because i just don't think he's he's not very good uh, if he ever rediscovers what he had last year, that can be re- revisited and reviewed. But I think right now he's not very good. And in a, a 2 0 hole, like they find that. themselves. It's, it, his whole identity as a player, though, is just feels a little different and it's muddled. And I, I think there is an obvious parallel on the books roster with some of just him. And it's, it's Dante. Yeah. But Dante didn't have a season where you're like this is a potentially special offensive player what was it 39 points in a conference finals game the thing too is that like it's not just his play but like he's a backup guard for them when they clearly put all their chips in the middle of the table in terms of saying hey this is our this is they they didn't trade james harden for him you know what i mean yeah and this this whole roster is built upon the assumption that he's a useful player, which right now he's not looking all that useful. No. And that's what's more kind of, you know, how we talk about how the the expectations or everything is talked about around the heat where there's like, oh, they think one step ahead, they're always, you know, they have this advantage, whether it's Pat Riley or whether it's Eric Spolster and all that stuff. But like right now they it's just weird how Dwayne Dedman was their best player. He played 21 minutes in game two. There's no plan involved. They signed him five weeks ago. Or There's no one step ahead. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Goran Dragic is still the player for me that I'm. It's the only player. <laughs> it's the only card that they have to play that could. He's going to be starting game three. Yeah, he should have been starting game two. I really don't yeah. understand it. And, you know, first time out <laughs> that spoke calls in, in game two, I'd be like, okay, we've got to. I didn't make the decision starting, but I've basically got to tear up the rotation right now, rework it on the fly because Dragic needs to be in, um, in more significant bursts. Like he played twenty four minutes. I know he's old, but he is comfortably one of their best players mm-hmm. and one of their most consistent performers, and one of two players best equipped to hurt the books with the way the books are playing. And right now, the books are just owning the heat. It's yep. it's a case of them imparting their will on Miami. And if you're the heat to have any foothold, to have any chance of this even being competitive, let alone advancing, like if you don't want to get swept, you're going to have to try and counter what the books are just blowing you away with. Because I can't like they can't even hope for a bad books game because that was game one. It's like yep. the books could miss every tree not shoot very well from the free throw line and win the game. If that's the case, then it's it's big trouble. And yeah, there's got to be a lot of, uh, I'm not going to say panic, but a lot of kind of long, difficult conversations heading into game three from a Heat perspective, because I really don't know if the game, switch, the series switching back to Miami is going to do anything at all. I mean... Yeah, it's almost like resorting to playoff cliches and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, like, you know, you're best when you're at home and all that stuff. But that the fact that... But that might actually be true again, first of all. 
like the books also might be evidence yes. of that. Yeah. Uh, it turns out, you know, I, I I think we probably talked about this during the bubble too, but I I don't want to downplay fans because I know fans love to, you know, play up their own importance. Yeah. Fans are important, sure. I also think there is 100% something to players being able to, you know, go home and sleep in their own bed. Yeah. And go if they're going through any kind of shoot around or if they're gonna watch some film that they're doing at their own practice facility that they're getting the kind of you know regular game day experience that's kind of ingrained to them like athletes at this level generally are creatures of habit i think the books in particular have some players who might take that to the extreme Giannis being a very notable example of that Mm -hmm. so that's making a difference but there's just you know, if you're the Heat, so what? Game one, they scored 107 points. We're with OT, so 99 points in regulation and 98 points in regulation in game two. If you're not going to crack 100 points, the defense doesn't even look remotely close to bothering the Bucks. And quite simply, Milwaukee just looks at too, too many really good options for them right now. Yep. And the room for guys to have off games and still kind of cruise through this series generally if the heat turn it on its head it will take a real kind of a real effort but also just turning the series right upside down like there's there's nothing here right now to suggest that the heat are on the verge of you know fine we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed a foothold it can happen i know these could be famous last words that you know could be played back accompanied by some sad music in a few days but it does really seem like just the books are in control and they're very they're very close to being able to go to miami win the next game you're nearly there who knows maybe the books could advance and have you know have to wait for the nets how about that very possible it's in play. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, let's let's talk Forbes. I ha- I haven't been the most bullish on Forbes. I wouldn't say I've been like Bobby Portis levels of confidence on him. I've been higher than that. Um, Bobby Portis is doing well. Again, I'll say that Bobby Portis is doing well. The series that I would be really worried about may yet still, you know, come down the yeah. line and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but right now, Bobby Portis is doing well. Bryn Forbes is doing great. We talked on the, the Game One post pod with uh, Ty and Rowan about, you know, he had a good Game 1. It was just a matter of if a couple of trees had gone down for him, we would have been like, that's a really, really good game. He was there, he was competing, his minutes generally were good minutes. So he comes out like a flamethrower in Game 2, putting on really a shooting performance for the ages. Shot the Bucks three five threes yeah. in or in game one, just in game two, that's <laughs> in the first half of game first two. Quarter, I think it was. Uh, I, think, I think it, it might be yeah, in half, one early half. in the. Yeah, but within the first, we'll say fourteen minutes of game time, probably six or seven minutes of his own individual playing time, he bested the Bucks three point made tally from game one, which is pretty impressive. And I mean, the Bucks themselves; it wasn't just him. You could see a few of the energy. Um, like looking down the line, it's only non-garbage time division. Brooke is the only book who didn't make a tree. Mm-hmm. So they really got something going. Yeah, that's one for seven. So mm. I don't have a problem with the one or the seven. But yeah. look, I think they found something and it fueled them. There is a there was a sense of the balance being pretty good too, like not Dante's finest error in a lot of ways. Again, just a nothing game offensively from Dante. But there is the the chemistry that we've talked about before because the players keep talking about it. How important Dante is, what he does. It is really evident. Like it is really evident that he just meshes really well with that starting unit. That even if Bryn Forbes was to roll off three more games like that in a row. I think that spot is still Dante's in spite of just how flawed he is. Like, and I think it would, it would take a real decision to make the change because just something works with the balance of it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you'd be a bit too top heavy as well. If you were to swap things out, you'd end up with a heat looking bench, which not advisable based on what we've seen so far. But for Forbes, I mean, look, he's had a really good shooting season, but, I don't know, were you expecting this from him in the playoffs? I know this was one of the things that I had before is, um, when I say before, I mean, like, when he signed, it was a case of, okay, like, he can shoot, but can he shoot with the kind of looks he'll get with the books? Can he shoot in the playoffs? He hadn't exactly been on, like, vintage Spurs teams where he's making big shots. Uh, but to me, <laughs> not to bring it, Dampner on it, but last night I was like, oh, you know, begin the second quarter. I'm like, oh, well, he's on a new team next season. <laughs> oh yeah, it's yeah. like that's that's all he's the time. That option, yeah, that he's... game. He's declining that option, and someone's going to offer him like four years, sixty million, and maybe <laughs> not undeserved. Deal. Maybe not undeserved if you can do that in the playoffs. But do you think we could see more of this? Certainly, not. I, I'd be surprised if we see this level of shooting it but i didn't think we'd see i thought it would be like what we've seen i think how you framed it originally like bucks role player that just gets hot like a george hill uh 
against the Celtics a couple years ago. Like that kind of level of like, oh, he hits a couple threes, maybe puts down a floater, that kind of thing. But I mean, I'm trying to remember what his season high was. It was like 30 points or something like that. Like in that Rockets game, like I didn't expect something like that, that crazy, Mm -hmm. you know, just lightning bolt of (laughs) energy and threes just like combined. I mean, the thing with it is like, it just feels like the books have been long overdue that kind of uh, luck is really the word i mean when yeah. you come to role players that's a big part of what it is it's luck are your guys gonna have a game like that at the right time and i mean Bryn forbes kind of stole all the thunder pat Connaughton though mm-hmm. like pat just saw it and he's like oh this is this is where the ball's supposed to go i'll follow you in Bryn." was yep. basically how that game went and some of those shots pat made early as well it's like he was taking Bryn's heat checks for him. It was very, very impressive. <laughs> yeah. No, like, I think it just, it was the fact that Forbes, I mean, the game was over by the end of the first quarter. But Pat, I'm trying to remember if he had a couple or one or two by then, but the fact that Pat's threes came in, like, as the game went on and every, you know, the Heat are just trying to scrape into this series and or in the game and the series. Um, I mean, yeah, that's it's well put. Like it is like all the whether it's Miritich or just these guys that like okay, this this will translate to the playoffs, and we haven't seen that the last couple of years or dating back to God knows how long. <laughs> just to see that, just kind of these outbursts have been. I mean, it was just. A wild ride. Even like it was early on too, where you know Giannis hits the three to kind of set the tone. But like Brooke had that little like crazy at the nail kind of shot. That's like how did that go in? And then you're just kind of like, oh, it's that type of night. You know, anything that the Bucks are shooting, they're hitting. And and Brian, I think it might have been second quarter, had just a completely absurd floater. Yeah. Like from way out no man's land where you're like okay I know he likes to do this and he can make that shot but it was really he looked kind of off balance out of control it's like oh yeah it's just not even touching the rim just nothing but net <laughs> it's it's kind of a feeling that I can only best describe as feeling like the books look like the Raptors teams that the books have played a lot in recent years where you're like oh look at all these other guys going off and fueling yep. that's really what it's all about like we've been burned by this if you can get on the right side of that it's a big deal it's a really really big deal and it could be a big deal going forward so let's hope they don't just prove to be isolated games but something that the the books have kind of hang their hat on and see good i'm not i'm not saying like we need to see Bryn forbes give six may trees to the books from game to game <laughs> That might be unsustainable. But, you know, if he can make two of five, if Pac could make two of five, you know, these are things that both guys are capable of, but it's like it would just be really good timing for once to get one of those runs where you're like, oh, look, a six week spell where uh, Pat Connaughton shoots 45% from deep. This would be the time, Pat. If you're listening, uh, please oblige. <laughs> Okay, higher profile, moving up to the stars. Giannis, we talked a little bit about a weird game one, kind of 
found ways to be very, very productive while also looking very unconvincing in some other ways. Really, it just looked like he was playing the heat. We're kind of yeah. used to it at this point. Not quite that same feeling in game two, though. No. Is that just what Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton were doing? Or do you think there's something else there? If those shots aren't falling... I mean, the other thing, too, I don't know what you felt like this, but I was a little worried in the first quarter because it just felt like the game was getting so like out of control, so wild, that I was like, you know, if they don't steady this, it could swing back the other way pretty quickly. And it, in a lot of ways, it didn't feel like the game ever calmed down. It was very frantic. There was kind of more breaks in play, about literal breaks in play for the officials, but also just kind of play opening up, breaks in the defense, where you're like, okay, there's an easier bucket than Giannis was getting, you know, all last year in the playoffs mm. against the Heat. Did you see anything that you feel like, okay, that's good, that's something he can kick on with, or was this just a byproduct of what was happening around him? I think it's a little bit of both. I think, obviously, hitting shots, you know, the Heat's defensive attention is going to focus on guys like Forbes, Connaughton, obviously Chris, Drew. But I also thought why Giannis had more success offensively, obviously, um, was the ways that he was putting down the guys would drive and they would dump off passes where he's like right on the baseline and it was like an easy dunk. Like those little things that we talked about like so many times where how do you unlock Giannis and what he can do and when the first option of him, you know, driving through teams and all the wall and all that stuff, like when that kind of contains him, I thought they the Bucks did a better job of sticking with putting him in advantageous positions off the ball for him to just, you know, wreak havoc on the heat and their defense. And would you then, I guess as a knock on this season, something we talked about post game one in terms of getting that right, is that again See, I'm, basically what I'm doing is I'm just trying to figure out, like, is this just a perfect storm for the Bucks? Was game two just a perfect storm? Are they going to find it much tougher? So, for example, post-game one, we talked about the importance of where, where and when Drew has the ball and allowing Giannis to get off the ball. And if Giannis is off the ball, what is he doing? So Drew has a great game where he's really confident in his playmaking. He's 15 assists. I think it's a no-brainer. Put the ball in his hands even a little bit more than usual. Mm -hmm. You've got that on one hand. You've got Bryn and Pat making shots on the other. I mean, the big thing for me, for Giannis, the big concern, game one, missing free throws. Six or seven at the line. Great. Very good. Is it low stakes? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate with all of this. I'm I'm... Overall, right. it couldn't be more encouraged by the books through two games. Uh, yeah. Everything from attitude to what they're doing. I'm just curious to see at what level they can kind of kick on from here. And part of that is that right now it's not about, about you know, oh, they need to just do this or do that to close out this series. They do need to do that. But it is also, okay, if there is to be a longer view, and if there is to be at some point where we're talking about what comes next, what comes down the line, 
the most confidence, the most kind of in rhythm that Giannis can feel, that really the whole roster can feel, the better. Because there is a brutal, brutal roll ahead if the books get past this, as they've given themselves an excellent chance to do with their great start. No, I think... I'm trying to, like, how would I word this? I think, obviously, game two... We've seen both sides of the spectrum. Game one, we saw this ugly fist fight kind of you're trying to get any any sort of consistent offense, all that stuff. Their defense has obviously been their calling card right now um, through the first two games. And then game two, you know, the floodgates open. We see shot after shot after shot. Like one of their I think it's one of their most efficient performances of the for the season, obviously. Um and, like, in terms of, like, the path, what comes after this if they, they reach that far? And, obviously, it's looking very good right now. I just think what the Heat have historically done and what we've seen so far the series, more so in Game 1 than Game 2, obviously, I don't think it necessarily applies to what we could see next round. Or even against Philly if they somehow make it that far. You know what I mean? I think... There's similarities of what more so uh, the Sixers and Heat and how they have, you know, this, this def- the defensive personnel to really kind of bottle in Giannis, how we've seen it in the playoffs the last couple of years. Brooklyn, shrugging my shoulders. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I That's the thing. It's like, how, how do, how do the Bucks navigate well, the balance? That, of that's like, part of it. What you've hit on is interesting because it is, like, if you're just to take the wider view of the East, I, I'm i not trying to look ahead past the Heat. I've, I've tried to make that clear a few times already. They still have to win two more. And, you know, we've, we've seen bad things happen before. Bad things could happen again. But if you're to take a wider view of the East, as you've laid out, you've got, I think, obvious challenges. Now, very possibly, particularly with how things are unfolding to different extents, in what you're going to see as an opposing defense that comes with the heat in round one. And that would come with a potential conference finals with the Sixers. If both teams were to get there, just true. The kind of players on the roster, the kind of physical makeup, you see a different look. You've got the net in the middle, right? Um, Not, not in the middle as in between those two teams defensively in the middle, as in, in some sort of no man's land where I have no idea what the net's, would do defensively if they'd even really try to do anything defensively or would they just gun for 170 points each game and hope that that's going to carry them over the line. We kind of saw some of that in the regular season games with the Nets and okay, we didn't see all of the Nets, but that's not uncommon. Um, But the Bucks did a very good job. You know, Mm. the Bucks did a good job of showing, oh, actually, you know, we can do just enough defensively as much as anyone can do defensively to slow the Nets down, and then we can go with that. So in looking at the Heat and in trying to close them out and then just trying to find something to go for, not even to be like they found this spark and this is something that's repeatable, this is something that will work against the Heat, but just in terms of energy, just in terms of like the vibe of it, because if we take the last two years as examples... The Bucks ultimately beat the Orlando Magic pretty comfortably in round one. 
but that series was not that comfortable. They didn't look comfortable from no. the beginning. And that did not bring confidence into the yeah. second round. If we go back a year further, they absolutely destroyed the Detroit Pistons. Like, by absurd, absurd numbers. Their margin of victory over the Pistons that whole season was just hilariously funny. But that did fuel something. Because even when they met adversity in game one and against the Celtics in round two, they were then able to just blow right through that, get to the conference finals, and put in a conference finals performance that as much as we remember for how it ended was very good for large parts. Like, they're right there, and a couple yeah. of things different. They could have been in the finals. They could have been champions that year. So if we're taking what we know and what we've seen, I like what was in game two. And I, I would like that to carry over, not just like beyond the obvious to win by 34 points in game three or 34 points in game four, or game five, whenever it could be. But just so that there is a sense of they're playing well. Like it doesn't seem too much to ask, but... They did not play well last year with all the expectations and everything. They did not play well at all. So there's a really kind of simple joy in the fact that they're playing well in the playoffs and in a series against a team that, you know, they had reason to feel a little nervous about, um, reason to feel threatened. I saw all those ESPN predictions. I saw all of those people who picked against the books in the first round. Just completely absurd. And it's it's looking like that right now. But it would, I mean, just the novelty value of it, Jordan, if they could go into round two playing really well, where it's like, you know, this Nets team is really good, but the books are also really good and they're playing great. You know, it, it would just make for a very different kind of narrative to what it feels like we've been dealing with the playoffs for quite some time now. So I'm kind of rooting for that. One, for you know, the collective sanity of us, everyone like us, everyone who's engaged in this book's playoff roller coaster. But also, I think for the players and for getting their best and having their best shot of beating the Nets or beating the Sixers if it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Chris Middleton, another very good performance. Could do with some take with taking some more shots, but given how the game <laughs> played out, it's fine. Yeah. Like it's probably not the game to be like no, I'm going to take the ball off Bryn Forbes and I'm going to take those shots, which is somewhat what happened. Um, Drew, Drew had a quote about right in the hot hand with He did. I, 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 mean, I watched his post-game and it makes sense. I mean, there's a level to that and there's some points where you don't test that. Bryn Forbes might have had the hottest hand the books have seen all season. <laughs> like it was in, It was in the conversation for that. So I think it was the right approach. I think Chris made very good plays all around. I just look really good. Brooke, really good. Numbers not as kind of obviously impressive as game one, but he's doing exactly what the books need him to do against Bam. And it's working. It's really, it's throwing the heat off on all fronts. It's leaving them with, you know, they need Duncan Robinson to have the Bryn Forbes kind of game, to have the kind of game that Duncan Robinson himself had in game one to just stick around because they don't have answers otherwise. That was, if I'm, I mean, as far as, you know, there's obviously so many surprises to cover with the Bucks, <laughs> but I was very surprised with how lifeless the Heat were offensively and the fact that, you know, they, they come out of the gate, 
specifically Duncan Robinson came out of the gate hitting all these shots versus like in the kind of usual ways that we've seen where Brooks dropping back, they're doing these handoffs, they're running through screens, all that stuff. That was largely absent. And granted, I'm sure that the Bucks clamped, I would have to rewatch the game, but they probably made more of a focal point of, Hey, we have to really clamp down on these, you know, chasing around screens and all that stuff. But there just wasn't any kind of, I don't know, urgency to kind of re go back to that formula, especially but when you game hit- one had to be so demoralizing for the heat and for someone like Duncan Robinson it has to like, that's gotta be part of it. That then when the books start like they do in game two, it's like kind of the tail was thrown in. And I know there have been some rumblings um, about, yeah, just where Jimmy Butler's mood is at right now and how nice he's being to his teammates and everything like that. Um, but I, I kind of, I get why things may not be all rosy because they let one go in in game one, just given the shooting difference between the team. Like they really let one go. The books yeah. might have played well in a lot of ways, but that should have been the Heat's game to win. And yeah, I'd guess if you're Duncan Robinson, you're like, I just shot seven of 13 from three in a playoff game and we've lost. It's like, where's where's the up from that? Does he have to go 10 of 15 for them to win one? Like right now, it looks like that's the kind of thing that might be required. And there's no, I mean, outside of Dragic, is there any shooter that you really no. fear right now? No, I mean, Tyler Harrow could get hot, but it would be just such a break from what his season has been that's that's the thing like you know he he can technically do that but it just it's not something that seems like it's coming i mean uh, Nemanja Belica did get some run some of it was garbage time run but he did get some run even a little before that i don't think that he can do that i don't think that he can do that um i know he was a player that books fans liked and coveted for a number of years I'm sure, and I hope that that has ended uh, because he he is a great example of um, standout role player on bad teams that put him in a situation where you know every possession counts. All of a sudden, doesn't look quite so good. So Nikola Mirotic, great. Yeah, I, I, I mean the. The the comparison's obvious, but Miritich did have better playoff moments than Nemanja Belitsa will ever have. He was on better Bulls teams. His Pelicans team was better than, say, Belitsa on the Kings when everyone got really excited about, you know, everyone caught Belitsa fever. (laughs) I look, I I really like where the books are. Uh, um, That's that's kind of on game two. That's most of what I've got left is just I like where the books are. Everything seems to be in order. It's kind of unnerving. It's a new experience. Let's all just cross our fingers that it <laughs> it holds up. But everything seems to be in order. I don't know what other way to put it. It's like there's no Eric Bledsoe. Like there's no Jabari Parker in between games giving interviews. You know, basically playing about his minutes. There's no um, maybe quietly resentful ton maker whose big playoff games are just an attempt to prove a point there's things there's just no seem minutes good. discussion why some people are playing more minutes than they should like like there might have been some of that with pat not not today there might be some <laughs> after game three but not today like guys like Bryn, 
Like, I, I mean, Dante, I think, is the only one who falls into that. And the ultimate win in that for the books is part of that is like, people are going to, people are going to start talking soon about should Bryn start ahead of Dante? Should Pat start ahead of Dante? And if it gets to that point, well, for positive reasons on those two players part, that's, that's a pretty good thing. So everything is in order. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Let's go onto the mailbag. Let's. The first one from at MKE Robert. Have the refs been bad in this series or are we being biased fans? I, I think the refs have been... I thought the refs were bad in game one. I thought game two was very challenging for the refs. Uh, we, might get, we might get to that in a few questions time as well. I don't know if they necessarily handled it all that well, although they may just have been completely puzzled by some of the things they were having to make decisions on. Yeah. It took a long time. That game was way too long for an absolute blowout. The kind of game that... And it was not... This is an isolated incident to this series. I was saw some of the Nuggets Blazers game after it. I saw that the third quarter took 38 minutes. Or something. Like, this is not just a Bucks heat series problem. This is a league-wide problem. This is the biggest problem the NBA has. Yes. You know, all these other ideas that you know the brain trust they're coming up with. Playing tournament, I'm kind of. I think a playing tournament is a good idea. What I don't think is the players need, you know, more Rest. games. Um. So you've got a playing tournament. You've got the mid-season tournament. You know, advancing down the pipeline. Oh, we'll cut it to like seventy-five games. It's not enough. Not enough. Um. Like at, at some point here, your product is going to really suffer from guys being exhausted, mm-hmm. and like at this rate, I'm just imagining like a four and a half hours finals where everyone's limping up and down the court. the The play is being stopped every couple of minutes for officials to review. Players limping up and down the court. I mean, hey, if it's the books that are there, we'll be fine with it. But it's, yeah, long game. I, I didn't think the officials were as decisive as they could have been. I think they could have could have stamped out some of the dirty heat tactics pretty early. You know? Yes. Like, there is another question coming about that, but I was getting a little concerned because that was not... Oh, yeah. And and the point where I was beyond that was the one that really, like, they got away with, which was the Goran Dragic trip on Chris. I didn't like that at all. Like, that's very... That's away from the realms of anything. Like, the Trevor Reza thing, yeah, not good. At the same time, I think everyone made it slightly bigger than it was. Like, uh, maybe maybe a touch generous that the flagrant actually went for, you know, taking him out of the air. I'm not, not convinced on the timing of that, but I think they just looked at the whole series of events and were like... Yeah, this is this, this is a flagrant. Somehow, we'll just yeah. decide what we'll call it. But the Goran Dragic thing was not good. Um, who was it that went under? Was it Kendrick Nunn who went under Middleton on his Izazad Middleton on a? Yes, yeah. Just very condensed period of time that was ratcheting up. I was like, oh, he culture, the yeah, this kind of. Yeah, not not good, and probably could have been stamped out a little bit more firmly early on. I I don't. The Dragic one for me was the one where I was like, he's just on the ground. He's just taking his legs from under him. Like that's a flagrant. I don't I don't see any way that that doesn't meet the criteria for flagrant. 
So that was the one for, where I was just like, That's, there's no basketball play. There's not even any pretense of a basketball play. It's off the ball. It's after the play. Refs have been bad, but the books are the books have been good. The books, mm-hmm. if they have to beat the refs and the Heat, well, so far they've managed to do it. But <laughs> some speedier games would help for sure. From at David Dunn 21, is Ty Windish hovering over your cubicle, sweating you about TPS reports? Jordan, is he over your shoulder right now? No, I don't see I don't see him right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, big time Ty is uh not Ty around right now. Reports. Yeah. We're uh we're currently unsupervised, <laughs> which is why we're like forty three minutes in and plenty of rambling <laughs> to go. And no, no, things are going things are going great. All one big happy family right now. From an MK Robert, is Bryn Forbes everything you hoped Rashad Vaughn would be? How can I answer this in a way that isn't very rude? Personally, did I did I hope Rashad Vaughn would be something? I certainly never expected Rashad Vaughn to be anything. Yeah, hope and ex- expectations were quite the disparity. Bryn Forbes in game two was definitely more than I ever hoped Rashad Vaughn would be. Like, without question. I never envisioned that. Because Brent, he's also just not like a chucker. Like, no, he was as hot as any player ever gets. And he took 12 shots in total. But so, no. No, um, Brent Forbes is more than I hoped Rashad Vaughn would be. I just wanted Rashad Vaughn to be like playable. That was my hope for Rashad Vaughn, and yeah. unfortunately, never came to pass. Go on. No, I was just gonna say, did Rashad Vaughn? He, no, the highest he. Oh no, I take it back. The highest. He Are you looking at summer league numbers now? Is that what's happening? No, this is during a real game. Real game. Real game. I guess the Nets. Is that you admitting summer league isn't real games? I didn't checkmate it. <laughs> from a turtle underscore colonel do you think we see any Jordan Moore minutes in the playoffs we saw some last night just after this tweet came in Bud must have been tw- checking Twitter in game um, I think <laughs> if the Bucks ever have a game where they get, go cold he could be a good spark plug I'm a little intrigued about what the Bucks like break glass in case of emergency options could be because I do think they have some Yes. I think Jordan Moore is one. I think he was the well, first. Just... He was the first of the kind of yeah. He was in when it was still players. like the white flag wasn't being waved on the other side completely. Yeah. Like Drew was still in the game, so Bud was still doing real things. He got some minutes. That was interesting. I think Elijah Bryant could find himself in some minutes at some points. I, I think that's part of why that happened when it did. Why they wanted to push that true, comfortable with the ball. You know, just. Very well around the player. I think he's someone who could yet be interesting in a very surprising way. Although it may take the Bucks being in a tough spot with their back up against the wall for him or Jordan Moore to kind of really break through and find something. Either that or it takes like just Dante being unplayable and you having to reimagine some things, which is uh, not impossible. No, I think we're looking at the Forbes and Portis replacements. If they, I mean, I don't see, especially after last night, 
I don't see Forbes sticking in Milwaukee and more power to him. I, I, he's shown this year. If he can get. Keep a, doing it and he can yeah. win a ring with the books and go and we'll cheer for him wherever he is forevermore. Like, yes. Yeah. I think okay. that's, that's the logical conclusion. I don't know if we'll see outside of, I think last time would be like the norm if there are more blowouts, but like he, there's something there in terms of they, they value what he is, even though he's not playing much, <laughs> but I, it's kind of like the, you know, uh, I was going to make a Zanuck joke. The, the replacement. I'm here for all your Zanuck jokes. Come on. Yeah. The replacement in waiting. Oh, okay. Well, that's ominous in a not good way then. <laughs> uh, he's going to the jazz. Is that what you're saying? He's going to actually... No, 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 no. They got some other problems to figure out, apparently. They've got some other problems to figure out is right. Um, Jordan Moore is really good. Like, yes. I think that that's something that's great. I think it's one of the fun elements of the season for the books. He's really good without them ever ha- having had to push him into somewhere that's beyond his comfort zone and maybe might then set him up to fail as a rookie, which is what you don't want to do. But I, I think there's there's really, really positive signs coming. Like I, I think they, they could definitely do something with him that's that's very useful. Yes. I also do I wanna avoid making the joke, is he the new version of Alex English? Don't want to say it. Don't want to say it. In terms of the Bucks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. Well, no, I, I got the the Alex English Denver Nuggets legend that most people probably don't even know was a Milwaukee Buck. Yep. Yeah, no, I got where you were going with it. From a Cowboy Space, imagine yourself in a GM role and someone calls up asking for Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, and they will give you James Harden. How fast do you hang up? Sorry, all my rings are going to be hitting the, the phone. <laughs> Can you remember? <laughs> you you definitely remember better than me the specifics of this. They like it could never really been that close based on those guys anyway, right? The Heat weren't gonna get. I know they weren't entertaining it, but that to me just screams they were never close to a deal to begin with. Especially when I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, obviously, they're probably Olenek probably would have been in the deal because salary. But yeah, I don't even know. There had to have been more because, I mean, Harden's just making so much money. I guess there was other – I guess Myers Leonard was still on the team before everything happened with him. Yeah, like, if that's the, the, the you know, basis of your trade package, yeah. I mean, a lot of people make fun of the Rockets for what they got for James Harden. I don't know how much better – it would have been under that, under those circumstances, especially when you get Ke- like Kevin Porter Jr. for kind of nothing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, like the Heat's, there's some kind of uh, okay. That's unfair. They they uh, the thing I haven't yet said is unfair. I was gonna say there's some kind of Celtics energy to how the Heat. Oh. Yeah, value their young guys and their reluctance to pull the trigger, but and then they, is... but then they do pull the trigger, and I think they pulled the trigger on the wrong deal, and maybe that is because they wouldn't part with the other guys, as you said. So you end up doing a different deal altogether, and you get a guy who's now on the sidelines, and I don't know what the prospects really are just long term for what Victor Oladipo is going to be, 
uh, if indeed he's even there. But yeah, that's that's the part of that where you're like, maybe you're too precious about them, so you're doing a deal that doesn't involve them for another star, but it is very much the Boston complex. But let me give Danny Ainge credit, which is very rare. <laughs> Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero are not Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, not even in the same universe. So, mm-hmm. very, very weird kind of situation. I, I think it's what we saw a couple of years ago where they, when they were kind of treading the water of, like, coming out of the Big Three era, Wade leaving them and them kind of finding the identity of this, you know, group of misfits that could kind of thing. Remember, like, that they went, like, 41 and 41, but it was, like, this crazy stretch run. That was kind of a fun they, team because yeah, it, it was, wasn't it was very super good. Fun. But they overpaid like the guys that were, you know, part of that run were like James Johnson or Olenek eventually. And he was a part of that run, but that's when they got Olenek. Like all that stuff, like they kind of doubled down on you wouldn't fault them for for the overall idea because yeah, you've made this investment with the few draft picks that you have and these undrafted guys, but now it looks even bigger when it's like, oh yeah, you could have, I mean, who knows how close those talks were. We could have had these clear talented upgrades that you didn't ultimately do. You thought, oh yeah, this is the side of things come. We're going to be Easter conference contenders. And for by and large, they look like it <laughs> based on their bubble play, but you know, it's been a, the bubble has long play. been burst, right? Yes. The bubble is burst. Yeah. We're never going back to the bubble, you know. I I need to get I need to get that book bubble ball, and I just yeah. is is there is there anything definitive on, you know, the heat and just how the heat happened, and how they managed to just like dupe the whole league into thinking they were good. The bubble was weird, Jordan. <laughs> Who would have guessed it? The bubble, basketball, <laughs> all the all the grown men, multimillionaires. Staying Coffee in, makers. you know, mediocre to good hotels at Disney World. It turns out that was weird. Didn't lead to normal basketball. From at MK Robert, what are the biggest adjustments the books have made defensively against the Heat compared to last year? Number one is Drew Holiday. <laughs> kind of being disingenuous and joking, but I think it's also true. Yes. Giannis on Jimmy Butler a whole lot is another very significant adjustment. I think this comes back to something that I threw in right at the end of our post-game one pod, which is I think Giannis' conditioning is much, much better. Oh, yeah. But, like, he couldn't do that. He couldn't He couldn't last games, really the last two years in the playoffs, without having to do that. That was the thing. Go back to the conference finals against the Raptors, and Kawhi was incredible for that series, but you had Chris and Brogdon both doing a pretty good job on him. Like Yanis mm-hmm. was gassed without having to do that, so yeah. that's a key difference just all around too. I'm not getting that vibe at all from any of this. Would be a complete game changer for the Bucks if that holds up and they they go on to a long run and at no real point is anyone looking and being like, oh, Yanis is just out on his feet. So that's a kind of an interesting wrinkle to the fact that they are doing that and he's doing that. Just makes it feel like everyone is on the same page of. Basically, his body's up to the challenge. His mind's up to the challenge. Yeah. He's going to do it. He's going to take it, embrace it. And so far, 
he's winning it hands down. I, I mean, yeah. there is also too like they're playing, they're still playing drop with Brook Lopez. It makes a lot of sense against this team, but it is not strict drop. You know, they are doing some switching. No. There's more switching than there was a year ago, which, like what we're seeing, is the story of what this season was, which is the story of what this season, you know, the ups and downs, and um, some of the just horrendous defensive performances that there were throughout the year. This is what they were for. That they they do look a competent team who can mix and match their schemes, which wasn't the case yeah. a year ago. Yeah, I think that's well put. I mean. Giannis and Jimmy Butler is a huge difference. Drew Holiday over Eric Bledsoe, not to, you know, beat a dead horse here, is a monumental difference, especially in the playoffs. But it's just the blending of everything that we've seen over the course of the season. And yes, there were some ugly points into it, especially late in the season. But, you know, it's a freaking grind. We're talking about a season that was, you know, five months compared to a normal mid-October start to April. And you have plenty of rest time and all that stuff. And, you know, obviously under normal times, we wouldn't be talking about COVID, but that's, you know, we're in a totally different world. Like there's so many more circumstances and layers to add to the context of why the Bucks still had a great season, <laughs> but there, it wasn't to the level of what people expected. But now it's like, oh yeah, this is what you work for. This is yeah. why you incorporate all these different things. And it's, you know, Granted, it's two games versus a regular season sample size, but they're they're the offense is looking pretty, especially after game two. But their defense has never we've never seen in in this kind of visceral. I'm just like it is smothering the Heat, and they have done that a lot in terms of what we expect from Bud, but just obviously not in this way. Just you know, based on how they play defense now. They're moving faster. They're more on a string. And that, that yep. again, comes down to if you're telling them to switch, they know how to switch. And their communication is at a level where that's good enough. Where, I mean, it's not like the books never, ever switched. They'd switch as a changeup. Yeah. They'd switch in games. Like, that goes back to the Jason Kidd era. They would switch very occasionally, but not very effectively. Because it, would be, it was just a stunt defense. It was a pure gimmick for them. Like... Zone and switching were things that they didn't do, really things that I guess their uh, understanding of them seemed to come from being just consistently foiled by them at the other end of the floor. But yeah. that isn't the case anymore. They just, they have those options there. They're, you know, it's stuff they've worked on and they're putting it into practice and it it is paying off so far. Like that's again... If they if they do advance through the series and they play the Brooklyn Nets, like I think that's going to be really interesting as well. The defensive looks the books can give the Nets are, I, I think unlike anything else they'll get from almost any team in the NBA. Absolutely, yeah. Like I, maybe you agree or disagree with this. You've been much more locked in throughout this season, much more locked in on things all throughout the league. I know what the numbers say for the regular season, and I know. I know what the perception, I guess, largely is right now. To me, though, there's not a doubt in my mind the Milwaukee Bucks are the best defensive team in the NBA. Like, if they hit their peak, you know, everything locks in and the options they have. I, I think one of the things that I've liked to, and as someone who has had some faith this season, that there was kind of a, 
a best of both worlds coming together, like their drop defense was not something that you just kind of try out in the trash. You know, it was yeah. unbelievably effective most of the year. And still, like here we are now in a playoff series against a team that did real damage against that scheme last year. They're finding ways to integrate it and come up with something. I just think in terms of the players they have and in terms of now the variety of looks they're very comfortable and confident going to, I I don't know if there's a better defensive team than the books. I don't think there's, I think Philly would give, be a interesting parallel, but I also don't know if they are well-versed in the ways that the Bucks are very good at defense right now. Mm-hmm. Like they obviously have the personnel. They, they have, have the individual defenders. Like individuals, but I, granted, I haven't watched a lot of Philadelphia games, but what do, what do they look like when they're switching? Are they going to incorporate some, like, does their drop look how we have seen the drop coverage under Bud the last two years? Like, you know what I mean? Like, from that standpoint, I think it's a little different, but in terms of personnel, I think they they have certainly, you know, the top tier is arguably, I don't know, arguably, but it's just in a different way that they can match up against the Bucks and just, you know, be equally menacing on that end of the floor. But I, I think it's interesting, too, because we've been on the other side of this, which the books were like, oh, yeah, best regular season defensive team and are right there. If if not quite, uh, at least one of the seasons, there was a late kind of maybe last game they were pipped. So let's see them for last. But they've been right there. And yet the playoffs would come and that would get shown up, which is a thing that can happen. Like the Jazz and Rudy Gobert are examples of that. It's like... yep. Some defense just holds up better in the regular season than it does in the playoffs. I think the Bucks have now got themselves to a point where their best defensive performance in the playoffs could be better than any other teams, mm-hmm. which is a really tantalizing prospect because the offense is, you know, good. The offense is humming like it's been most of the season. Um, even when you can't make any trees, they were, they're finding enough offense to get by. And when you can make trees, well, we've seen what happens. From at C Keller one four one, do you think the series would be any different if Oladipo was playing? No, I mean if t- what like twenty nineteen Oladipo was playing yeah. for sure. Yeah, but I mean, sadly, very sadly, unfortunately, I don't know if that version of Oladipo exists anymore or will exist again. I don't think so. I mean, I, the only person I could think of that had a similar injury was Tony Parker and he retired one year after coming back from it. So, or two years, one of the two, but remember when he was on the Hornets? I, I just remember that, but yeah, I, I, I honestly do not know what to expect. And even like the recent kind of like, Oh, he's going to be cleared for action in November and all that stuff. And it was clearly, you know, kind of like a, Hey, I'm still here kind of thing. Yeah. I do not. I do. I would not have expected anything the, the only difference it might make is what i could describe as um the final five minutes of regulation in game one where Giannis gets hit in the funny bone and he's out there and he's not really a threat <laughs> he yeah. was a decoy he was off the ball but he's still Giannis. and i don't know maybe just you know guys see out of the corner of their eye and they're like well that's Giannis. i've got a like maybe there's a an extended version of that effect with oladipo where you're like well there's no doubt he's skilled. 
if he's out there. I mean, it, it would make some difference. Even a limited version would make some difference because when we look at what their bench options are and their backcourt, as we've talked about, like it's grim. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the series just is completely different than the Heat are in a dominant position if Oladipo is out there like he is now. And that's that's a real shame because his ascendance, um, that, that first season with the Pacers was just one a great story but also really cool looked like a a kind of different player um climbing the ranks too i didn't didn't really feel like there were too many people with a similar game to him from at wesley bill besides new additions what's been the biggest difference in this year's series versus last year's it might just be not being in the bubble i mean i guess we need more than one series to really get a feel for this and see how, or even we'd need this series to carry on, see how they do in Miami, and if it ends up back at Pfizer Forum, like, are they, again, looking very convincing and commanding at home? Uh, I just think, all of that, though, even, like, going to Miami for Game 3 and 4 is going to be so much better and healthier than what they had to deal with in the bubble. It's, It's so weird because like the travel demands of the NBA is something that we're used to talking about from the negative, you know, the impact that has. It's something different though. (laughs) It's a change of scenery. It's a chance to take your mind off. It's, it's something that means you're not from the second game to finishes dwelling on exactly what, you know, you've got to do for game three, the whole way through, which I do Mm -hmm. feel like there was some books who mentioned that as well after the season, that there was a sense particularly when things weren't going well, that it's like, you're just there, you're ready for, you're like ready to play game three because they'll be like, oh, you know, why else are we here? And yet you're waiting, so you're stewing in it. Yeah, there's nothing just the else whole, for you to do. Yeah, like what, you're going to go fishing with Ursan? I mean, I, the whole psychology of that has to be weird and I think did produce a weird playoffs. Just look yep. at the... Look at the Eastern Conference Finals and, and look where we are now. It's like it's it produced something far from the ordinary. Uh, so that's the biggest difference. I mean, I also coaching right now is a big difference. Yep. One one coach is adjusting a lot better than the other. And it's a complete role reversal on a year ago. Yeah. Uh, bubble, the environment, adjustments, personnel. I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's anything that isn't a difference at this point, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and also, the besides new additions is a tough caveat, because, like, the Bucks roster is transformed. Like, yeah, exactly. Not necessarily for the better in all ways, like, you talked about that throughout the season, in terms of for as much as it didn't work out, they had some really solid depth last year that they don't necessarily have this year, but hey, if Bryn Forbes is going to play like that, well, then the depth is it's all good with me. You know, mm-hmm. what they ha- what they have is going to work and it's better than what the Heat have. So for the moment, that's that's pretty good. From at Celebrate, what would be a good retirement gift for Trevor Ariza? A broom. Quick series, yeah, get him out of here, rest up. Respect for all those years. Um, a toaster. He is toast. This is my... <laughs> It's not a phrase I ever use every time I've seen Trevor Rees on the floor in this series. Like, I I never say that about anything. It's just the thing that comes to mind. It's very strange. I see him. He looks like a guy that didn't play basketball for a year. Yeah. And then has has the hardest defensive matchup 
I remember physical. I remember in maybe 2017. You might remember this. You might not. I wrote an article around oh, the wrote, agency yeah, time behind the book pass. You remember this? Um, advocating for the books to go after Trevor Ariza. It got dunked on in a way that I still don't understand because Trevor Ariza at that time, good, useful player. Is that what he was on the Wizards? Either the Wizards are first year with the Rockets. Right around that kind of time. I didn't understand at the time because I was like, look at the options. This guy is good. You still got something. But all these years later, that still stuck with me, Jordan. That was one of the only times I, I tasted that experience. And, you know, I guess Trevor Reza was to blame. I put fate in Trevor Reza, and that's how he repaid me. But I'll be honest in that I hadn't thought about Trevor Reza for at least two years before this series started, and I just can't believe he's still out there. I'm sure he can't believe he's still out there. He's played He's played in the NBA for half his life. It's also amazing. Uh, like, I believe, uh, was it was the game on TNT last night, or was it ESPN? TNT. I've been, I've been watching the local feed so far. Uh, gotta get every last ounce of, but I can't believe there are people not watching Paschke. Come on. I think that's more of a, the all the stuff that's going on with in terms of cover like provider. Oh, okay. Well, I know there yeah. is some, some messy stuff with that. Not to rub it in for the people not getting to watch Pashkin. <laughs> um, I believe though there was some talk about, you know, former NBA champion Trevor Ariza on the broadcast last night. I saw some mentions of this. And like that was one of the teams I would least associate Trevor Ariza with, the team you got a championship on. Play for so many of them. Like that how much of a role did he really um, I mean, I'm trying to think of a, another example. Like, he was a player who wins a championship with a team that you're just, when his career is finished, you're hardly going to remember that they were actually on that team. Well, I, outside of, like, the ring-chasing kind of element. Is that um, Trevor Reese kind of became that? Oh, yeah. Like, that's certainly what it is now. And again, he did sign with the Suns after going to the Western Conference Finals <laughs> for a yeah, he got the that's, bag at least. Uh, look, you've got to look after number one. But yeah, yeah that's Trevor Reza is just it's wild. All of it is wild. His uh <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. That little uh love tap of sorts that he gave to Yanis. Very strange. The whole thing was strange. I like I, I didn't actually think the what well, as I mentioned earlier, what he was assessed to flagrant for wasn't quite as dangerous, but just generally making that kind of move is like the intent of that is not good. Yeah. And if Giannis wasn't Giannis, like, you know, if you really stay down and make a meal out of that, that could be a flagrant too. As the fact that Giannis might as well have had like a fly land on him was his reaction. I found that really amusing. He's just down, he's just completely chilled as if nothing had happened to him. Um but yeah. Trevor Ariza. I hope he enjoys his retirement. Happy retirement. It could be, you know, could be coming very soon. Yeah. From at Rustbrick44, is it time to pull out the brooms? No, no. Jordan and I would not dare. Um, I think just some of the, the conversation we've had has been dangerous in this podcast. I will not dare to answer that with my true feelings. From at Jules-esque, 
Why doesn't PJ Tucker spend time next to Giannis as the only other big? Is it because the Bucks lack a good backup tree to Chris and I'd rather he spend much of his time there? We talked a little bit about this in the post-game one episode as well. Uh, in this series, I think it might be as much to do with Brooke as anything else. Mm-hmm. And as much to do with just the Heat's terrible front court options. Like, go beyond Bam and what have you got? So if you've got size and you can play some traditional size, it's not something they're all that well set up to, to cope with. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's between that and PJ's going to play more on Butler, you know, the Heat, I don't know what they're going to rely on to somehow turn the tide of the series, but the the Bucks are sitting pretty right now. They haven't had to really dig in further, obviously, into like what they have. Yeah, you know? and, and don't show your cards, not just to the Heat, exactly. but don't yeah. give the Nets film on what you're going to do or whatever. Like, it's not... I don't think it's necessary to be like, well, we might use this in the second round, so let's show it now. It's like, you know... We know how that goes, even though that that's even interesting too, because the Nets have been kind of weird with how they've handled center at times this season, maybe because of just the weird hold that DeAndre Jordan has over that entire situation, you know, like the kingmaker himself. But yeah, I mean, they're a team that could very obviously go Durant at the five and all shooting, like a just unbelievable offensive lineup. If that's what happens, then I think you match it up, but even that will be, I, I mean, that will be interesting too because I think there's a there's a way in matching up there where you could just be fine with Giannis at the five where at some other times they haven't been happy with that and you could go smaller mm-hmm. because of who you're going to play against and what the weaknesses would be. If that, if, that, um, if that series was to happen and that kind of scenario was to arise, like, are you better out there with PJ Tucker? Or considering the Nets could have like Harden, Kyrie, Joe Harris, are you better with Bryn Forbes to match some offense? That's going to be something that's kind of interesting to watch it evolve if and when it gets to the point that we are seeing Brooke off the floor and more small ball. Mm-hmm. From at John Doe Books, do you think the NBA needs a better enforcement mechanism for when one team opens up the Blake Griffin book of dirty plays when they're getting crushed? I wish coaches would be willing to call out their own guys and shut it down before it got dangerous. I mean, the the idea of that is nice. I just, it's not something that happens. I mean, players generally should just self-police and be like, yeah, I don't want that done to me. So let's not do it to other players. But that's just not how it works. If you talk for year after year about heat culture and how tough you are and you work harder than everyone... I think you find yourself in a spot like this and you're going to try and find other ways to get back into it. That's what some of that felt like to me. I don't say that lightly. I don't, but that's, I didn't like it at all. It was just kind of bizarre and honestly pathetic. Yeah. Like, they had nothing else to Play basketball. Play basketball. You're getting blown off the floor. Well, make an adjustment. Try to do something different. And also try to get yourself some momentum going into to game three, which they failed to do entirely, even when late in the game, when the Bucks do what they do. If I was Spo, I'd have been playing some real players some minutes. I'd be like, show me something. Cut this down to 20. Get it under 20. Give us something that we can say, okay, we found some rhythm late. Like, they didn't do that. 
Um, instead, they resorted to yeah playing pretty dirty to start the second half, and the NBA needs to do a better job on it. But also, it's on the players that it's on the players. And what are the Heat ultimately going to get from it? That's mm-hmm. at, at this moment of time, what are they going to get from it? I just think it makes them look bad, and it didn't do anything to help them close the gap in the series. Yeah. Lastly, from at Torres D three two one. How slash why is Drew still so underrated this late into his career? He played for the pre-processed Sixers, a team that did not garner much attention at all. In fact, one of the most spectacularly, like, just kind of forgettable <laughs> groups of they were, players They were ever. the uh, eighth-seater Bucks, but with better... Better uh, players. Like, better old players. Elton Brand was still a good player. But he was old yeah. Elton Brand. Andre Iguodala. Yeah, and that's pre-Warriors Iggy where he was very or much... Or Nuggets. Yeah, he, he was kind of... Chris, two or three years ago? Like, that kind of reputation, status, that kind of space. Yeah. So that's where Drew started from. I mean, that's the closest he was to a big market. And being on a playoff team, like... And they made the playoffs the year before that. The process, I believe, with Doug Collins. Then he goes to the Pelicans, who, I mean, how can anyone other than Anthony Davis and Zion be rated as they should be with the Pelicans in the last five, six years? Like, it's just the noise of everything else has drowned that out. They're more a kind of rumor mill sideshow throughout that time. Yep. than they have been a basketball team, which is very Not even just on the court. Fans. It was yeah, off the court too. Even like was... the ownership and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, I mean, he's a great defender. And if you're not seven foot and playing at center or power forward, okay, we'll include Giannis, you're not going to get the, the praise you deserve for being an incredible defender. And he's not like... I think John Hollinger, it was during... Um, he had some piece. I can't remember the ba- like the kind of basis of it was, but it might have been like something like all underrated team or all NBA team, whatever the case was. But it's like he's a guard that doesn't. He was never you know particularly high level shooter until like this year, and he's not like a flashy. I'm gonna you know finish through contact and dunk at the. You know what I mean? He plays in this mm-hmm. kind of. He's silky. He's more delicate, and it's yeah, yes. it's picking his spots, and you know, I I think there's a certain kind of fan who likes a certain kind of player who's always gonna gravitate towards him, but yeah. I, I I think there's like like if you want to go to the top of the game, he's more Kevin Durant than he is LeBron James or Giannis. Like he doesn't have that explosive, the sheer force of will. It's more skill based. It's more kind yes. of grounded in how he's going to play the game and you know honestly another thing with that is that requires watching games not to sound like you know one of these people but it requires watching games i don't you can't get that from he's not a highlights machine he's not you're not going to scroll through your twitter and every night be like oh look at the big play drew holiday made and that's in spite of the fact that he undoubtedly will make big plays every night they're just not the plays that like the nba account is going to tweet out or something yeah i think that's that's the answer for it Uh, As always, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back very, very soon. The books, the playoffs, there's no light up. 
Until the next time, make sure you subscribe to us. And by us, that means the Eurostep Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at winning6podcast. You can also follow Jordan at Jordan Tresky. You can follow me at AdamMcGee11. You can also direct any queries about feeds and stuff there. We'll we'll get this sorted for everyone. Until the next time. Thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.